It's about Christ for you. But it's not without you. It's about Christ for you. He's not going to leave you where you are. He's not going to let you be what you were. Christ for you, crucified and raised from the dead, he is risen. Christ crucified and raised from the dead is the God the Father's power to regenerate your spirit back to being of a mind like him, which means a mind not set on you, on being curved in, on selfish pursuits, on getting what you want, but a mind that learns to see the absolute good of love, that is of mercy, that is of grace. And and while you are going to live in this veil of tears as a person completely incompetent with regard to your love of other people, with your ability to be gracious at all times, with, with your mercy being perfect, that will not happen. Nonetheless, you are set apart, chosen, and redeemed to be someone who wants it to happen, who hungers for mercy, who desires to be the one whose faith is made active through love. Now, as we're going to talk about what that means today, faith made active through love, it's imperative that we remember that this is not the means by which you will prove anything to God. If one comes to Galatians chapter 5 and says, well, here, St. Paul is teaching us how to make God happy with us, they've ignored everything he said in Galatians chapter 1 through 4. The whole book is a treatise on how God has to save you. You can't save yourself. You can't prepare yourself. You can't go part way. He doesn't just hold out his hand and you got to take the rest of it. He saves you. And he saves you by declaring to you you're saved with such power and promise that you finally believe it. And the result of you believing it will be love. First, his love to you, that you see it. That what Christ has done for you on the cross is an act of supreme loyalty, of everlasting commitment, of steadfast fidelity to you. You see the love of God in the hands and wounds of Christ. And because of that, beating your breast, confessing your sin, you're also going to turn around from that cross as you leave church week after week, and you're going to see other people who are in the same state that you are, in need of love, in need of mercy, in need of compassion, in need of loyalty, in need of care. First and foremost, those that are here with you in the pews who believe in this same thing, and so ought to be, though not always, but ought to be easier to love. And then also those who are out there in this world, many of them lost, confused, and even downright backwards and upside down. Who need, of course, to be told, you must stop there. You can't do more of that when the time comes. But always, always for the purpose of love. Never for the purpose of wrath. 
With that as our introduction, let's look at Galatians chapter 5, these verses this morning, page 974 of your pew Bible. We're going to keep going verse by verse here at St. Paul. This is a big part of what we do. We learn to read our Bibles so that the Bible's not a foreign book to you, so that the Bible's a book you use at home, so that the Bible is your home. It's the place where your spirit's going to be filled. It's the place where your stomach's going to get the real food. Page 974, chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. At full stop right there. For freedom you've been saved. Do you remember this? Do you remember what you used to say at the end of the service before I got here? The pastor would say, go in peace, serve the Lord. And I got here and I said, I'm done with that. I'm going to say, go in peace. You are free. What's the difference? I mean, are you free to like not serve the Lord? Of course not. You're going to go serve the Lord. Why? Because you're free. But if I just say to you, go serve the Lord, I mean, uh, how, how encouraging is that? I guess you could hear it with ears that know that this is to walk under grace. But to me, it always sounded just a little bit like a now go be a good person. When the fact that you're going to be a good person is a result of the fact that you're free from your sin. That God has paid the price. That you can walk with liberty as one who knows you shall not be condemned because there is no condemnation for you are in Christ. For that freedom of conscience, of soul, and of mind, Christ has set you free. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't walk under the law. Even though the law is good. Even though we learn to love the law. To not murder, better than that. To help your neighbor, this is good. To not commit adultery, better than that. To be committed to a steadfast marriage that brings forth offspring, that have grandkids, that bring forth offspring, that have great-grandkids. This is great. So the law is absolutely good. But don't walk under it. Don't act as if it is your judge, because it's not. Your judge is Jesus on the cross, and he's dying there for you. So do not submit to a yoke of slavery, doubly so. Doubly so. If you're not going to let the Ten Commandments be your judge, why would you let some other law made up by mankind be your judge? Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't eat this. Don't eat that. Don't wear this. Don't wear that. Look like this. Don't look like that. You hear those messages all the time. Maybe you're, you're so in the white noise that you don't realize how much those messages are being shouted at you. But they're being shouted at you all the time, generally because they want you to buy something. But the way they impact your conscience is that you begin to feel that if you don't have this and that and do this and that, then you won't be a good person. And so you begin to self-accuse. You get internal shame talk about how I need this, otherwise I won't be that. And Paul says, don't let them do that to you. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again to take you home because you belong to him now. So walk as free people, not as slaves to this present age. Now, Paul gets into the main idea of the book in verse 2. This is the specific law, which the people in Galatia were saying, you have to do this or you can't be a real Christian. This was circumcision. This is a Jewish tradition. 
scientifically, medically, it might even be a good thing. You can debate that. But his point is not whether or not medically it's a good thing. His point is, do you have to do this to be saved? And he says, look, no, more than that. I say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. The idea is that the moment you begin judging yourself by laws, you lose the value of Christ in your conscience. You lose the freedom for which he sets you free. You lose the eyesight which sees him for who he is. The moment you have to come to Jesus and prove yourself to Jesus, you don't know who Jesus is at all. And that's where he's going to go next. I testify, and again, to every man who accepts circumcision, he's obliged to keep the entire law. Verse 4, you are severed from Christ. I mean, the, the point of verse 3 is important, but do you see first how the result is that you don't have Christ anymore once you begin to believe it's up to you. Now, does that mean at any moment that you think you have to do something to please Christ and then you feel guilty now you're not a Christian? No, that's not his point. His point, however, is that in that very moment, your, your peace has been taken from you. The power of Christian liberty has been taken from you. And if you should become someone who truly believes that and believes not in grace anymore, but is going around telling everybody else, look, if you don't dress just like this, you're not a real Christian. Well, guess what? You're severed from Christ. If you as a congregation become one who says, if we don't have this kind of that thing, what do you want to put in the blank there? A rock and roll worship or organ? You could pick your one. What, what do you want to put in the blank there? Sunday school or youth group? You could pick. If we don't have this, voters' assemblies, I don't know. If we don't have this, we're not really Christians. You're severed from Christ. You've forgotten your first love. You don't even know who he is. He's the shepherd who goes before you, calling your name, fending off the wolf, clearing every path, pulling you along by his power and his spirit. What more do we need? And the answer is nothing. Now, again, I kind of ran past verse 3. If you're going to try to justify yourself by what you do, then you've got to be perfect. That means every single jot and tittle of the Old Testament code, which, by the way, you can't even keep because the Ark of the Covenant is gone. The Day of Atonement can't be done. The Passover can't really be celebrated. The entire catastrophe that is Judaism right now is a mockery. The best of them, the best of them stand by the wailing wall and beg God to give them the temple back so they can try to keep their religion again. Anyone else is just blowing smoke. And let's set that aside, though. Forget all the, the, the uh, ceremonial rules and what to do with the fatty portions and the fatty liver and all this stuff you got to do on the altar. Let's just stick with loving your neighbor as yourself, as the man who tested Jesus in the parable of the Good Samaritan. He couldn't do it. It was too much. Every thought, every word, you're obligated to keep the whole law or or he is risen. <laughs> Hallelujah. And it changes everything. Does it make the law bad? No. Does it mean you don't want to keep the law? No. It just means it doesn't bind your conscience. It doesn't tell you who you are. The way that Jesus Christ's baptism of you into his death and resurrection tells you who you are. So 
Paul's pretty emphatic here again, back at verse four, you're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. It's very, very uh, black and white, plain as day, right? You are not justified. You are not made good. You are not made upright by what you do. What you do is the result of God making you upright. The only way we shall live in innocence and righteousness and purity forever isn't because we're going to get to heaven and like really make a good effort that day. It's because Christ on that day is going to make us innocent and righteous and blessed forever physically. Now, the mystery is you're already there spiritually. He's already declared it to you. So that by faith alone, that is by believing he's going to do this on that day, you already have it on this day. Just not by sight, only by trust, uh, which is where he's going to get into with this faith being active through love thing. But before we get there, um, just just a, a little hat tip. I, I don't I don't mean to go and just bash any particular church body this morning, but it, it can't be ignored that, that the big difference between the Roman Catholic Church and the Lutheran Church is, is this question. The whole reason there was a fight, I mean, really, the reason was because the Pope wanted to build a, a cathedral, and to do that, he needed to make some money, and so we found out that selling forgiveness, man, that, that made it come in, and so we started doing that. That's the real reason, but what, what ends up as a result of this is that the Roman Catholic Church codifies, that means dogmatizes, that means they make it a permanent statute for them forever that you're not justified by grace alone and you must be justified by the law. You must add to what Jesus has done. You must take what Jesus has done and do something with it. Otherwise, well, now they're nice. So otherwise you'll just burn in purgatory for a while. They got all kinds of hoops that they play with, but, but it can't be ignored that they're just ignoring this text. You who would be justified by the law, you're severed from Jesus. Does that mean that every Roman Catholic severed from Jesus? No. Does that mean that there are Roman Catholics who believe this firmly and are severed from Jesus? Yes. Is it our job to go pick and choose? No, not, not really. But, but this is why we call the Pope the office of the Antichrist, because he officially teaches this. Yeah? I mean, who could set themselves up as the head of the entire church in the world to insist you justify yourself? I mean, that's not God's work. That's not Jesus' work. That's the devil's work. Does that mean every Pope's going to hell? I, Jesus is the judge. I don't know. But I know that when they teach this with conviction, they teach the devil's words. Now, this is going to be doubly important because in a moment, there's going to be a verse that's their favorite verse to prove their point. Let's just kind of just get down there. Uh, he says, verse 5, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. It's a great verse. But now it's verse 6 that they want to focus on in Rome. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. That's where they go. Faith active in love. That's how you're justified. You're justified by faith plus works of love. You see it? You see how you can even fit it in? It kind of makes sense. Faith acted through love. Okay, so I believe, and then I do loving actions, and that's what justifies me. Oh, it all makes sense, except for the verse right before it said you're severed from Christ, if you think that's what this means. 
So the very verse that's the core of the Reformation Roman Catholic argument against Lutheranism is two verses removed from one that says the opposite of what they say it means. So for our part, since we do believe the Bible is inspired and without error, since we do believe this text is true, that what matters is faith acted through love, we have to understand it in the way that it's written. Which is not that you're justified by your faith doing works of love, but that what matters in terms of your life in Christ is that you believe Christ has been active in love for you. That what matters is that your faith would be in the grace of God for you. Does that mean you're not going to love your neighbor? Oh, for pity's sakes, why do I always have to say it? I always have to caveat it. Because we're all going to go off running, hating our neighbors if we believe in grace. What nonsense. What nonsense. Faith acted through love is faith in the love of God that will result in your love for your neighbor. And these things go together like a hand in a glove. They are not enemies. The law and the gospel are not enemies. The enemy is the curved inward flesh of man that wants to use the law to justify himself at all times and in all places. That's the enemy. And the antidote to that enemy is, I forgive you. I'm sorry, what can I do to make up for it? I forgive you. You can't do anything to make up for it. I just forgive you. That's the God you have. That's the power of freedom. You mean I don't have to pay you back? No, it's been nailed to the cross. The debt is paid. Now let's not miss verse 5. Through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Notice the righteousness is a hope. You don't have active, permanent, complete righteousness. You're not the perfect person you're going to be on the day of resurrection. That's your hope. And your faith the one that's active in love right now, your faith trusts in that hope. It believes that that day of future righteousness is coming, paid for by Jesus. And now, like beggars wandering through a wilderness, we are walking toward that better land through this barren one. And there's thorns and there's thistles everywhere, but the shining light of the city on a hill, it lies straight ahead of us. And so we eagerly wait for that. We look forward to it. A couple weeks ago, this is what Paul meant by setting your mind on things above, right? And then he says that this setting your mind on the hope of what is coming in the day of resurrection is the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, Colossians, Jesus inside of you, the Spirit of God enacting faith. So again, who does the justifying? Jesus does. How? He dies and he rises for you. And this promise is his spirit that creates faith in you that doesn't create justification. It's faith in justification. It's faith in the grace of God. And by the spirit creating this faith in you, you become willing to be a different person right now. And that different person is marked first and foremost by the freedom of conscience that you are given to hold your head high And do the best you can do, knowing you have a God of grace all the way with you. Now, I'm going to read ahead of here a little bit and not say as much about the next verses, but I I don't want to skip them entirely here. He's verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? He's saying, you know, Galatians, how did you get off track? Why did you start believing this? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. 
No, God isn't teaching you this nonsense about justifying yourselves. Verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. That's kind of a quote from Jesus. A little yeast changes the whole batch of dough. A little false teaching ruins the prophecy. Uh, A little trust in yourself steals the peace of conscience that grace would give you. Verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. He says, I assume you're Christians. You're going to believe what I'm saying. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. On judgment day, the false teacher will be judged more harshly. Verse 11, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? This is interesting. The reason that people don't like Christianity isn't because of the law that we preach. The real thing they don't like is grace. The real thing they don't like is the idea that they can't do it themselves. He says, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Uh, The offense of the cross, the reality that you need to be killed, but you're not going to be, and Jesus did it for you. That's what's offensive to the pagan mind. Verse 12, oh, I love this verse. He's just kind of getting a little angry here. I wish those who unsettle you, that is those who are teaching you have to be circumcised to be saved. I wish they would just cut the whole thing off, he says. Emasculate themselves is a very polite way of translating it. Cut the whole thing off. Uh, Verse 13 now. For you were called to freedom. This is what I want you to walk out of here today with, especially as we're headed into set apart. As we're headed into a month and a half or a month of talking about money, of talking about what we need to do as a people because we live here on this corner and around this corner, and we want this supper, and we want this altar to be here for our children, we have to act in certain ways. We have to believe in good judgment, that is, balanced scales. So as we start talking about it, don't forget that you were set free to be free. Don't put a dollar in the offering plate based upon guilt. If you can't bring yourself to want to do it at least a little bit, don't do it. That's not why we're going to have these conversations. We're going to have these conversations because some of us want to do it. And I'll admit that I've got maybe only about 35 to 45% of myself that wants to do it. But I like that part of me a lot more than the miserly part. And so I want to take a step up this year. I want to add a percentage to my giving because I know it's good. And I've seen the benefit that it's been providing to St. Paul as an organization over the last several years. But I want to do it in freedom. So as we go again into this next month and a half, it is for freedom that you are set free. Just don't use your freedom, rest of verse 13, as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You're not free to go fornicate. You're not free to go steal. You're free to be the best person you can be, knowing Jesus has you firmly in his hand. You want the law, the law is verse 14. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Yeah. Uh, to, to, to forget that the God of love is a God of love 
creates people of justice only. And people of justice only always want it exactly fair. And when you always want it exactly fair, eventually when it's not, you're gonna try to take vengeance. You're gonna get your own. And when you get your own, they're not gonna think, oh, it's okay. They're taking vengeance because I deserve it. They're gonna think that wasn't fair. And then they're gonna try to get their own back. And just like that, snap, snap, bite, bite, devour, devour, you're at war. Now, we haven't had anything like that here at St. Paul for, for as long as I can remember, even through the difficulties of our, of our little schism that we had. There was never like the bite, bite, devour, devour. But it does happen to congregations. And so honestly, I mean, say hallelujah. Let's thank Jesus that we have peace in the congregation. Let's continue to pray for Jesus that peace in the congregation go on. But now let's realize also that this applies not only to congregations, but to families. And not only to families that live in a house together, but extended families where I know you've got extended family, uh, that there's some snap, snap, bite, bite going on. Uh, or perhaps in the workplace, definitely in the workplace, snap, snap, bite, bite. Or, or maybe just down at the gas station, watching some other people shout at each other. That happens, doesn't it now? So again, his point is, what are we to be? Yeah. If we're going to care about something, it's not circumcision and what you, what you wear. It's the quiet spirit of the merciful mind who sees the other because Christ sees you. And you're so confident that Christ sees you, you don't got to worry about proving yourself to him anymore. You can see everybody else. And you can seek their good. So verse 16, I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That doesn't mean if you're a Christian, you'll be a really good person. It means believe in the grace of Jesus Christ and you will hate your own sin. I'm going to say that again because it's really important. It doesn't mean if you're a Christian, you're going to get better and better at being a good person. Measure your fruit. It means believing in the grace of Jesus Christ will make you hate your own sin. You're not going to be able to go do evil and be like, yeah, it's all good. Because walking by the Spirit is walking under the knowledge that Christ is your King. And that it is His wounds, His stripes and gory lashes that have paid your debt and set you free. So you're going to walk as one who sees freedom as an opportunity to do good while the sun still shines. Now verse 17 is full of wisdom here. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Why would the spirit of Jesus Christ keep you from doing the things you want to do? Because your flesh wants to do evil things. So the word of Jesus Christ, and this is why Bible reading at home is so important. Pray the Psalms, read the Proverbs, open the scriptures. The word of Jesus Christ is in you to fight against the flesh, the sin that is within you. And there's going to be then a battle here. But the power of this verse is his promise that the Holy Spirit is the one doing this. And he's doing it to stop you from running yourself off the suicide to damnation cliff and pulling you into one who is waiting for salvation by faith in Christ. Yeah? So again, 
The desires of the flesh are against the spirit that is your internal born nature, doesn't want even the grace of God, but the desire of the spirit is against the flesh. He wants to save you anyway, and this is a fight that goes on by the word of God that the spirit is doing so you won't be damned. It's a beautiful verse. Verse 18, if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. It's not about what you do. It's not about how you measure up. It's about the fact that Jesus is for you. He's your king now. He goes on in verse 19 and following to show you, look, if you really want a list of what evil is, here it is. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. He's not done. Verse 21, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I mean, you know evil when you smell it. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you're hearing of salvation is by grace is, okay, I get to go do orgies and drunkenness now. He's, he warns you, no, you didn't even hear what I said there. You don't even really believe. Huh? But for those of us who do believe, which is, is all of you, I think we should just assume that this morning. Well, then what you should expect is not the desire to go be envious and drunken and like yeehaw, let's party more. You're going to instead have the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, that's in the conscience again, patience. That's bearing with each other. Kindness, that's an attitude toward others. Goodness, that's a desire to be upright. Faithfulness, that's loyalty again. Gentleness, that means even when you've got to say something that's hard, you say it for the good of the other person and with them in mind. And then self-control, that's when you just decide you're not going to get what you want because it's better for everybody else that way. Against such things, there is no law. You don't even need a law. It's just what goodness is. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, verse 24, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You're dead. And you're alive in Christ. It's already happened. It's already done. So if, remember, if can mean since, since we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Since this is how you're saved, hey, why not know it? That's his point. Since you're saved by grace alone, why not like, Know it so well that you don't let someone lie and take it away from you. Why not write it down in the annals of your heart in such a way that you're able to talk about it to somebody else? I mean, again, it's not a law. You'd better go talk about grace or else. The idea is, why not have this be the story that you live your life with? As opposed to all the other stories that they're shouting at you. Do this. Don't do that. Watch out for this. Watch out for that. Oh, no, this. Oh, no, that. He is risen. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Please rise for prayer.